Welcome back to the Unregulated Podcast. This is episode number 25 here on February 25th, Thursday mid-morning. Lots to cover today. I'm your co-host, Tom Pyle, and across the way here <laughs> at the AEA Studios. I'm Phil Kirpin's intern, Mike McKenna. How are you today, sir? I'm good. I need to give a shout out right at the top to um, Shannon Banyaga who listens to us but refuses to subscribe because she's terrified we're going to use her uh, data, sell it to other people, which... <laughs> we don't actually have any control over that, that. If we had over control, said data. If we had control over the data, we would, in fact, sell it to whoever wanted to buy it, just yes. so you know. So have her understand that once she subscribes, we will know everything about her. You, just, you know there's no talking to these conspiracy theorist people. All right. Um, we have... There's a lot to cover, and we're going to cover we're gonna all cover of it, whether as you want to hear it as or we not. Humanly, possibly can, and potentially have a special guest. Who knows? Um, it's tenuous at the moment. Um, anyway, the um, first thing I want to get to is there have been a wave of resignations in the past few weeks. I don't know if you've been following along, but uh, the first one is a distinguished. A civil servant, a public servant, government official in the state of Massachusetts. A little bit dated, but we haven't talked about this one oh, yet. Yeah, I remember this guy. I'm going to play a clip, and then we can uh, we can maybe not even spend a lot of time discussing it. I just thought it was interesting. Uh, you know, one thing that we found through our analysis is that 60% of our emissions come from, from, as I have been starting to say, you and me. Except you guys are in Vermont. 60% of our emissions come from residential heating and passenger vehicles. So let me say that again. 60% of our emissions that need to be reduced come from you, the person at the street, the senior on fixed income, right? These, there is no bad guy left, at least in Massachusetts, point the finger at, turn the screws on, and you know break their will so they stop emitting. That's you, we have to break your will. <laughs> I can't even say that publicly. Okay. That was uh, Massachusetts Undersecretary for Climate Change. Yeah, man. That a state has an undersecretary for climate change. David Ismay, who promptly resigned from his post. Well, he actually didn't promptly resign, and that was the interesting thing promptly about Promptly based it, right? on government standards. It took him about 10 days for somebody to like you know figure out, oh, wait, apparently you're not supposed to be a gal lighter in this whole operation. Uh, I... Um, you know, I forget who said it, but whoever it was was right on. It sounds like something Russell Long would have said. He said, you know, the definition of a gaffe in Washington is when somebody catches you telling the truth, right? Sure. Um, it, I don't understand why the guy resigned. He spot on, right? Emissions are the result of human beings making decisions, and we got to break their will. They got to stop making these decisions we disagree with. Yes, that, yes, we I, must break their will. Here's the interesting thing: I mean, is he, he got fired? For, he got he quit for telling the truth. In the era like of COVID, I don't understand why anybody who goes on a <laughs> Zoom, Zoom thinks that, that somehow, <laughs> some way, that is not going to get out. This is all off the record, right? Yeah. So um, that wasn't the only resignation recently. The entire school board yeah. of the Oakley Union School east of San Francisco had uh, also not promptly resigned, but uh, it uh -oh. became inevitable that they would be resigning. Um, 
Let me play a clip from uh, another Zoom that they assumed was uh, not uh, public. Just off the record. Right. Have an invested interest in this process, and they don't know what we right. do behind the scenes. And it's really unfortunate that they want to pick on us because right. they want their babysitters back. Right. 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 I agree. And it's fine. It's just it, and it's to get uh, I I totally hear that because uh, my brother had a, a delivery. Yeah, my brother had a delivery service for medical marijuana. And I had clientele were parents with their kids in school. <laughs> and of course, when it was relayed to them that they were indeed not in a private meeting. Just FYI, you guys have the meeting. Oh, we have the meeting open to the public right now. Uh-uh. Uh-oh. Just FYI, you guys have the meeting. Oh, we have the meeting open to the public right now. Uh-uh. Uh-oh, nah uh <laughs> so, uh so um way back when I was a young person in the nineteen ninety two Buchanan campaign, right? Um they used to have a every anytime anytime the candidate went to talk um to reporters or anybody, right? Um they paid somebody to remind him last thing he, last thing before he went on was you're always on the record. You're always on the record. If you're talking to another human being, you are on the record. And you know the greatest, you know, the, the best um, the best example of that recently is the Ted Cruz, his wife's group chat. Yeah. You know, the group text. That I assume she assumed she could trust everybody on that. Heidi. Yeah. And and she couldn't. Um, you know, always on the record. Always on the record. Yeah. Uh, it, well, uh, this this is inter- interesting because we've had a dramatic turnaround of, of, of this very issue. Um, we had a, a, an emergency Zoom last night from Maryland County Public Schools announcing that they're moving full steam ahead with partial reentry into schools starting April 6th, where they will have... <laughs> Children coming in on sort of a small rotational basis, a couple few every other week, not including Wednesdays. And we're very excited. Um, and we can't wait to see your children again. We can't wait, except and, we're going to wait another six weeks. Yeah. But also, um, the backlash as we discussed in the last episode from the cdc recommendations which would have actually closed more schools than were currently open um i i you know i said that this was going to be sort of that midterm issue this this about face that that was announced in our county uh along with i mean it literally has been a week or so since that kind of talk has turned into we got to get these kids back in school, um, yeah. It, the unions are are uh, they're having a bad they're having a bad couple of days in here. Well, it's what it is is to me anyway. It's 
recognition that they've got a much better deal right now and they don't want to be the ones responsible for jeopardizing it. That's right. Because as you mentioned, um, this is, this is going to, this is going to bounce back. Um, and, and if you're, if you ran, ran a campaign saying you want to get the schools open and then you basically kowtow to the union, that's going to fall right on you. Yeah. So um, I'm, I personally, I'm glad if, if my daughter ends up going back, I'm very worried about her. She's nervous. She heard about it yesterday. She said, Oh, I don't know. I mean, I get to like, you know, use my bathroom and I have my nice lunches and my snacks. And, you know, to me, what I'm hearing is she's nervous about going back. Like she's been sort of so accustomed now to just being at home. And it, it really breaks my heart for her, honestly. She'll get over it. Um, oh, I know she will. But I, I have in mind, sucks. I have the feeling this is a seminal moment. I'll, I'll tell you what the an- analogy is, what the analog is. In 1946, um, the president of the United Mine Workers of America, John Lewis, I think, um, walked a million guys out of the coal mines, right? And it was bad enough that, um, right, there was some talk about nationalizing the mines. And and it was about mechanization, right? And what wound up happening was um, the, the, the um, strike was so unpopular with the American populace, right, that the union ultimately um, came to the deal of, of this. The deal was that everyone who was a current miner was going to be protected, but the um, coal mining companies made no assurances about future employment for anybody else. And great if you're one of the million UMWA members then, but you look at UMWA now and it doesn't exist, right? Not probably 20,000 members, whatever it is, right? It's, it's, a, it's, it's, it's a shadow, right? Um, in, American, in the history of American unions, there's always a moment in every union's history when they overreach and they wind up cutting their own throats. Yeah, well, I hope, I hope for, the, for the sake of our, of our children and future you know, generations that this is that moment. It's very interesting, too, because our good friend who you mentioned earlier, Phil Kirpin, um, uh, flagged the fact that the same, the very same teachers, Montgomery County, staged a protest, a vehicle protest, where they basically were, were like honking their horns and marching uh, uh, in opposition to going back into the schools. This is a few days ago. I'm sure they were driving. So, they weren't marching. They were, they were marching in their cars and honking they their were, horns. They, well, you know, it's funny. I marched in my car earlier today. I so, marched over here and parked. And um, I'm just... I, I, am, kids, I am highly critical of uh, the public school systems. I'm, kid, I just, kid, I, kids I, at home. For a long time, I, I left this all to my wife to manage, and, and that was not fair of me. Um and I've I've gotten involved in a lot of it now, and the more I dig, the the the, the more rotten it, it looks to me. Of course, so. it is. Let me say a word out to the public school teachers out there, um, some of whom I respect tremendously, others whom I don't know. Um, keep marching in your cars. Keep buying gasoline <laughs> and driving. Okay, that that helps. That helps everybody. So okay, one more on. in the wave of resignations. Uh, five. This is from USA Today. Five board members of Texas Utility Grid Operator ERCOT <laughs> quit. They all live out of state. 
Yeah. Uh, this is a reporter, uh, Madeline Mecklenburg from the, I guess this is the Austin American Statesman. Of, you yeah, know, I'm the sure there was sort of the Stringer thing, right? Yeah. So it, five members um, the resigned their posts guys. according to a notice posted on the PUC website. Board Chairwoman Sally Talberg, Vice Chairman Peter Crampton, and members Terry Bulger. Crampton's from California. Raymond from Hepper Michigan. and Vanessa. You're stepping on it, man. And and Seti Para will leave the Electric Reliability Council of Texas or ERCOT. None of them live in Texas. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, it, and that's okay. I mean, it wouldn't be okay with me if I lived in Texas. And certainly in Virginia, I expect everybody um, – I would expect everyone involved in, in grid assurance to um, be from Virginia. But, of course, I'd like to throw rocks. And let me get myself organized for a second. You know okay. the real you know the real problem here is? Uh, but before you get into the real problem Lay it um, on, me. on our um, – No, I just want to talk about the real governance problem. Yeah, yeah. I'm excited to. Uh, the the uh, In the pipeline, which is our morning energy news service. Our flagship publication. For the American Energy Alliance. The best. Which you can subscribe – uh, just drop us a line. Anybody, me, Tom, anybody. Let me the know. Best. You can subscribe to our daily news clips, but uh, news clips don't underestimate news it, service. It, it's the best. It's the best daily aggregation of energy news in America. I, I would wholeheartedly in America. Agree. Uh, our good friend David Kreutzer came up with this headline. They thought ERCOT was a theme park in Florida. Yeah, Huge I, surprise I, to find out they're in charge of a power grid's reliability. Back to you. That sir. was funnier than hell. The Okay, so everybody in America is like, how could the Texans allow somebody out of state to like, operate their grid? Bah, 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 bah. All right, I live in Virginia. What that means is some chunk of my state is in the PJM footprint, right? Not only could I not tell you who governs PJM, I couldn't even tell you what sort of person governs PJM. Um, these regional transmission organizations, and in the case of Texas and New York single state um, organizations um, in California, right, um, are unaccountable. They are unelected, they are unappointed, and they are fundamentally um, they are fundamentally anti-democratic. And it's not coincidental that um, we've had an increasing problem with reliability in the grid because the people who are supposed to be responsible for it um, – Suffer no accountability if something goes wrong. So in 2014 in PJM, we had a problem. In 2019 in California, we had a problem. In 2021 in Texas, we've had a problem. Um, each problem has been lethal and cost a bunch of money. Texas was particularly lethal, right? There's 80 dead people out there um, in Texas who would like to know who's in charge of the Texas electrical system? It's a decent question, but it's not limited just to Texas. All of us live in under grids that are being operated. Maryland is in PJM sure. too. Um, we have no idea who the hell's running our grid. We have no idea who's in charge. I know it's not Pepco. I know it's not Dominion. It's some Yeah, I mean, you don't really guy. care as long as you get the power, right? Like people, Except on the day that you do care, care. Except for the day that you and do. The and the thing is, and this is, this is Texas, California, PJM, Grid's not run by people any better or different than the people who run your grid. So this thing that happened in Texas, thing that happened in California, thing that happened to PJM in 2014, it's coming to your neighborhood. It's going to happen. Yeah, but it's not it's it is not because they're incompetent per se. Oh, I, yeah. It is because the the 
because system is being loaded with unreliable intermittent. There's some of that. There's some of that. But truth be told, and the system is losing its resiliency because of the yeah. of the energy okay. mix that is changing. Yeah. The, the, okay. So let me just. Let but me, there's one other reason. Hold on, before you get into it, there's one other reason. I want to. I want to get it to you right here. The bottom line is, Texas thought it could go at it alone and built a system that ignored climate change. It was not what's called resilient. Texas is paying the price. I hope they learn the lesson. When we build power, when we build anything now, we have to take into account that climate change is real or people will be caught the way the people in Texas were. When I wrote the Sandy Bill, $60 billion for New York, we made sure everything was resilient. When they built back the subways, built back this, built back that, they were going to be resistant to climate change uh, changes. And we have to do that. That's Texas. Yeah. Thank you, Senator Chuck Schumer. Yeah. You know, somebody <laughs> who is now an expert in electricity, resilient grids due to climate you know, change. It's just, it's just a matter of time till this happens to New York. L- let me just say one thing about the way you structured that thing, right? You said, well, the grids become this, become that, become this other thing. And, you know, we're going to have this long painful and pointless conversation among people who don't know anything. And they're going to say, it's the wind that failed. It's natural gas that failed. The system needed to be weatherized, all this other stuff. Everybody underperformed with the exception of nuclear. Everybody underperformed. Um, But I want to bring my focus back to the past, the use of the passive voice. Like somehow these things happened on their own. The reason why coal was backed out of the Texas system, the reason why wind was advantaged, was because of decisions that were made by people in Texas. Guys and, like, and, and here. And, and everywhere. Washington. Everywhere. Sure, yes. sure, 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 sure. But yeah, in Washington, yeah. But Rick Perry's to blame as much to blame for of Texas course. as anybody else. Of course. Uh, uh, but but we but the but the fundamental but the fundamental thing that that I've yeah. the reason I'm saying is we went from a system of distributed generation. Back in when this thing was in its infancy to a system that basically over time moved to a centralized generation system. And now they're moving away from that. That was an improvement on the system. Now they're moving away from that towards a distributed generation system. They're moving backwards, in my opinion, not forwards. Yes. I mean, that's true. That's true. And, and I think the part of the reason why they're moving backwards is because the um, system management has now become completely disconnected from, from any kind of accountability. Um, you know, when, when California went out, Gavin Newsom actually praised the utilities because the last thing he wanted to do was have a long conversation about what actually happened. Um, these RTOs, they're bad news. I've said they're bad news for 15 years, and now I have dead people. Um, I have dead people because of decisions that were made by grid operators, and not a couple, 80. Um, and and we're going to spend, like I said, the next six months having lots of pointless partisan discussions. I'll bet you any number that you want to bet that nobody in the House and nobody in the Senate and nobody at FERC is going to put the put the pin on the RTOs. Well, they've already Frick's already like suspended they're, they're already made the conversation <laughs> that they were that it was ongoing about this they, very issue. Well, of the you know what I loved about Frick's announcement of their assessment is, yeah, we're going to look at climate change and um, we're going to look at extreme weather. I didn't say climate change. We're going to look at extreme weather and we're going to look at a couple of things. I forget what it was. And it was just like they might as well have just said, look, here's our conclusions, and we'll work backwards from that, right? 
it's just like, okay. I mean, at least, you know, the House and the Senate guys are like, yeah, we're going to take a look at this, have a bunch of hearings. Yeah. And, th- and then we're going to conclude all the partisan things we want to conclude. Yeah. yeah. Anyway. Um, so um, this is going to be an ongoing conversation, obviously. Um, I want to move on. We do have a special guest today, as promised. His name is Phil Kirpin. He is the president of American Commitment, and I will let Phil introduce himself and his organization. Yeah, great to be with you, Tom. Uh, American Commitment is a national free market advocacy group. We work really on all of the fiscal, economic, and regulatory issues, but we don't do original research. We try to sort of jump in on what's on the margin, the issues where a little bit of citizen education and engagement might make a difference in a more free market direction. So we do a lot of letters to Congress from grassroots or into regulatory docket, comment dockets or into the White House. And we try to tip some of these fights that are on the margin uh, to a more free market outcome. And all our stuff is on AmericanCommitment.org. And Phil, I'm, we've known Phil for a very long time, um, a, been a afraid warrior of him, been in the afraid freedom, of him for at least free, that long. Free market freedom fighter movement. Well, and, and we pay our rent every month. As you do. So <laughs> that's the important to, thing. To be here in the office with us. But, um, you know, Phil has, and if you, if you don't follow Phil on Twitter, you must. Uh, what's your what's your tag? It's my last name, Kirpin, K-E-R-P-N. At Kirpin. He's got a blue check mark. I'm jealous. Uh, but, but, Phil... I, but I got it the old-fashioned way by buying ads from them, <laughs> not, not by actually being an important person. Phil has been digging into this COVID business from almost every angle. Uh, we chatted a little bit earlier about the Oakley school board members who resigned. I talked about the fact that we're uh, Montgomery County is suddenly seeing the light and is scrambling to bring a fraction of our children back to school. Um, At some point in the... In the Far very near future, future. Uh, well, and I want I want I to talk a little bit Maryland about this. But, is the worst but you in the stay country. on yeah. with us as long as you can, and we'll talk about. We'll just keep rolling through the program because Phil, in addition to his expert uh, expertise on this COVID uh, nineteen business, uh, Phil is pretty well rounded and and knows a lot about the energy issues as well, and all the other good stuff that we're talking about. But I want to set the stage here by playing a clip from our esteemed. Dr. Anthony Fauci, and I love you, your comments on it. Hold on. There are certain aspects of being vaccinated and what that means to you personally and your own personal safety and that of your family versus what vaccines will allow you to do in society. One relates to you yourself being vaccinated, and the other relates to the number of people and the relative percentage of people in society that will be vaccinated because there will be things that you will not be able to do because the burden of virus in society will be very high, which it is right now, even though we're going way down on the decline that Dr. Walensky showed you, we are still at an unacceptably high baseline level with the seven day average being quite high. So there are things, even if you're vaccinated, that you're not gonna be able to do in society. For example, indoor dining, theaters, places where people congregate, that's because of the safety of society. You yourself, what you can do when you are together with another person, we are looking at that. And we're going to try and find out very quickly what recommendations could be made about what people can do. One of the things that's universal here that we know that at this point in time, it is unclear whether when you get vaccinated and you might be protected from 
clinical disease, which is the primary endpoint of the vaccine studies, that you could conceivably be infected, have virus in your nasopharynx, and at that same time have no symptoms, which is the reason why we recommend and say you still need to wear a mask. Because if you do have virus in your nasopharynx, even though we hope that when the data comes in, it's going to show that the very virus level is quite low and you're not transmitting it. We don't know that now. And for that reason, we want to make sure that people continue to wear masks despite the fact that they're vaccinated. Lots to unpack there, Bill. Well, you know, it's, would, he wouldn't what, be Fauci. What, he wouldn't be Fauci if he hadn't been on every single side of every single issue. So thank you for that. Now, his, uh, I he, want you like I want you to can you do your best summation of sort of what you've learned and what you've you've sort of uncovered as you've been digging through all, all these different facets? I know you've been on top of the Cuomo thing. Yeah, I know you've been on top of the Fauci fact check false. I know you've been on top of the school issue. Just give us sort of an overview. Okay. Well, first of all, Fauci is uh, a remarkable political operator. The guy's been here since the early 80s. Presidents come and go. He's essentially bulletproof. Uh, his principal skill set is survival. <laughs> and uh he seems to just do media interviews all day, every day. I'm not sure he does anything else ever, which is why he's apparently not familiar with the now pretty robust research we've got coming out of Israel showing that vaccinated people almost never transmit. Uh, so he, what he's representing as an open question, I don't think is an open question. I mean, he basically uh, just got rid of restaurant industry, yeah, right, entertainment industry. Right. Screwed after your vaccine, after your vaccine, and remember, it was like April or May of last year when he was asked in one of these media interviews, you know, is it okay to hook up with people on Tinder? And he was like, well, you know, if you're willing to take the risk, that's fine. So, I mean, it's okay to have sex with random people from the internet. Uh, not okay to have indoor dining even after you're vaccinated is pretty much the the typical the gamut, range of right? Fauci recommendations, uh, which covers, you know, literally everything you can imagine. The guy's also been on both sides of masks. He's been on both sides of asymptomatic spread. He's been on both sides of, uh, you know, bay, of, of low versus high th herd immunity thresholds. I mean, he's been essentially every major question we've had with this virus, he's been on both sides of. But and not because of new science or new information. He just sort of seems to just he likes to float. He likes to float all over the place, keep people off balance, keep people But confused. I believe in, uh, I have signs in my neighborhood that said, I believe in Fauci. The man is adored in the Washington, D.C. area. Yes. Say, I see the signs that say, we heart Fauci, we love you, thank you, Dr. Fauci. I say, what are they thanking him for? <laughs> what do they think this guy did exactly that they that is so helpful to them? Or I, I, I Embarrassing Trump, I guess. I, I don't know. Uh, but I, here's where we are. Uh, the virus is in very sharp decline uh, in basically every region of the country and has been since it peaked in early January. We've, uh, we, we may hit a little bit of a plateau here uh, where we are. Some of the numbers have sort of stopped declining as rapidly as they were, but we're about 75, 80% down from the peak on, on most of the metrics. And we could have a little bit of a rise or a plateau uh, just because of the volume of testing that we're doing and everything else. Uh, and there may be another attempt to freak people out and so forth. But I think it's unlikely that we'll have 
another epidemic type wave because of uh, the vaccine. And in particular, uh, the deaths in nursing homes are down really dramatically because we vaccinated them. And so these vaccines do work. Um, as much as Fauci wants to say they don't work, you're going to have to keep having all the restrictions forever. They, they do work. And, you know, I think it's really important uh, as conservatives that have been fighting a lot of these lockdowns and restrictions and so forth. You know, obviously, if we had enough people on our side to win, we would have won a long time ago. And so I think we need to think about this as, you know, how do we bring people over who are sort of in the middle? They're a little scared of the virus. Maybe they're not sure if the restrictions work or whatever. How do we get to the exit path in, over the next few months and sort of broaden the appeal of that. And I think the key is we've really got to say when everyone who wants a vaccine can get one, when you go to a doctor's office and a pharmacy and get it, all of this stuff has to end. And it's not about you know getting some percentage of people to actually take it because it's a personal decision at the point where it's available to everyone, you decide what level of risk you're willing to take with the virus versus the vaccine. And once everyone's made that decision for themselves, we should be 100% normal. There's got to be an end point. There's got to be a light at the end of the tunnel. And that, to me, is the logical point. When anyone who wants it can get it, there are highly effective vaccines available. It shouldn't be. It's got to be X percent of people actually taking it because they will never when will let that us ever reach end? that number. Right. They'll, never They'll tell be us an it's 50, then it's 60, then right. it's 80, okay. then it's 110. So it can't be based on uptake. It's got to be based on availability. And what and do you think the chances of that actually happening are? Nationally, they're zero. Right. A lot of places it'll happen that way. Well, a lot of places already happen that way, right? I mean, you well, know, half, half the country's already open. Yeah, about that. I mean, this is the other thing that's so interesting about the schools debate, right? And, um, you know, a lot of people in Washington, D.C. have no idea what an outlier we are here on schools. Yeah, man. They sort of assume every place is like this. But I, I actually look, they, there's a website, burbio.com, B-U-R-B-I-O, that uh, they track 1,200 school districts nationally. So about 12, about 10% of the school districts in the country, they're tracking every day. And they designed the sample to be representative of sort of everywhere. And so it's a really good website. And, you know, I looked at their data and split it out between the West Coast, D.C., Maryland, Virginia, and everywhere else. And, you know, full remote, like you're not, your kids are locked out of the school building, not allowed to go in at all is uh, highest on the West Coast, but then D.C. is right behind. And then the whole rest of the country is like a completely different different world. So like you look at, um, I think the numbers were something like, you know, full-time, in-person, normal school. West Coast was like 8%. D.C., Maryland, Virginia was like 12%. The rest of the country was 52 or 54 or something like that. So, you know, it's like we... We act in Washington like everybody's still out of school, like all the schools are, because it, it, it's true here, it's not true everywhere else. And a lot of these places, Florida has been full-time, five days a week, normal since since August, by order of the governor. Every school district in the state was required to have full-time in-person as an option. Uh, and so we've got all these places that have been in school all year long, had no adverse consequences of any kind. And then you got this bizarre alternate universe here in Washington where we act like all the schools are still closed because ours are here locally. Yeah. And you've got, you know, the CDC and the Department of Education under Biden coming out with these, this is how you can reopen, like most of the country hasn't been open all year. Yeah, and, and, and ultimately, ironically, as you pointed out, again, at Kirpin on Twitter, it, his opening plan would likely, if, they, if these schools that are open followed, it would have to close. 
Right. Like something like 85% of the counties in America are in his red zone. And in his red zone, they recommend uh, hybrid only and cancellation of all school sports. Actually, they the sports language, they say, they say school sports should be virtual only. <laughs> I guess you, you know, <laughs> yeah. we're going to replace school sports with video games yeah, they're or something. Make, and, you know, I actually think Nintendo this Switch. is a massive political blunder. I, not because a lot of places are going to follow this recommendation, but think about this from the perspective of any family that's got a kid that plays spring sport. Okay, they lost their whole season last year. Then they watched winter sports play. Then they watched fall sports play. And now they're not supposed to have, they watched fall and winter and then now they're supposed to lose another season yeah. of spring. Because I think it's a conspiracy, so. a plot to try to set baseball back by a number of years. Well, you know, the other thing is, so they've got... <laughs> You know, okay. got, Everyone's going to go to the Dominican <laughs> Republic to play. Well, you know, the teachers union. Well, I'm just hoping Mayor Bowser will allow at least some people to go to opening day because the, yeah, the, right? the Mets are here for opening day. The Mets are here for opening day. The Mets? Do they survive the minor league purge? Huh. They, uh, Who knew? They got Tebow. We have a heck of a team. Oh, my Hackabas God. He Look, retired. The Mets. He did retire. He finally retired. Never made it to the majors. He made it to AAA. He was a. He's he's arguably. Better than Michael Jordan at baseball. He, yeah. he's, he's, I, I he's think a, you're right about that. Actually, uh, it, but, I'm just hoping. But did Jordan ever don a major league uniform? He did not. No, he only no. got to double A. I don't yeah. get to trouble. But you know, the um, if Bowser lets, if 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 our mayor is kind enough to allow spectators, <laughs> even if it's some small number and the prices are stupid, I'll, I'll probably just think about the formulation of that. That sentence isn't that isn't that pathetic? <laughs> think about the f formulation of that sentence, and that's. I was going somewhere. I wasn't trying to be difficult with, you know, the likelihood. Because my theory is, is that, and I've said this before, right? No one's going to blow a whistle and say it's okay to go back into the pool. What's going to happen is human beings are going to break this thing down one or two or six or 12 at a time, right? The schools, the reason why schools are such an emphasis is because the, um, the time confiscatory regime, right, um, that has gone on, the masking, uh, doesn't exist outside of the Northeast in California, right? You go to North Carolina, it's America. Um, you know, schools are important because it's the one thing government controls 24-7. Um, so I'm just kind of, you know, that's my big theory. The Northeast you know. is not nearly as bad on schools as the D.C. area and the West Coast, though. Most of their schools mm -hmm. are at least hybrid. Uh, although, you know, the hybrid thing is particularly insidious because um, I could see it going on for a very long time. Yeah, you've got you know the the, the principals, oh, yeah. the oh, principals yeah. and the administrator, right. they all feel like they're hey yeah. we're open we're yeah, doing we're, our job yeah. they, you know even though the kids are only there half the time so that's a whole that's a whole other sort of related problem but you know the if you look at a map of the country where the schools are open versus a map of like where the economy is is doing well it's the same map it tracks. you know you can't you can't. You can't really get people back to work and back to normal if Until their somebody's got to be home. And, somebody's and, and I want to I want to save a little time to talk about the COVID package, but I want to yeah. bring this up because I know you studied this too. Lockdowns versus no lockdowns versus hot somewhere in the middle versus hybrids versus United States yeah. versus Europe versus Asia versus Israel versus South um, uh, Australia. You've looked at all these numbers. What formula? works no formula works uh this is a highly infectious respiratory virus and you're going to have your turn at some point no matter what you do and the californians acted like they were super geniuses because you know they hadn't really had it in the spring of the summer um 
And then they had the worst fall and winter <laughs> wave of anywhere. And uh, now they're right in the middle of the states on, on you know, per capita mortality. They're, they're sort of like right there. And, you know, I think, the la and by the way, they're, they're, they, they act like it's some great achievement that their deaths are still slightly lower than Florida, but Florida's got a lot more old people. You know, yeah, 21% of the Florida population's over age 65. I think it's 15% in California, something like that. And uh, if you actually look at the per capita death rates for over 65, California has higher than Florida, and under 65, California has higher than Florida. So the only reason they're not haven't passed them yet overall is Florida has so much more, so many more old people. And you know that's a problem for the the proponents of lockdown to explain. In fact, one of the Biden advisors was asked about this. Uh, this guy, Andy Slavitt, was asked about this on MSNBC of all places. They were like, you know, can you explain why California hasn't done any better than Florida with nine months of lockdown when Florida has been wide open since September? And he went into one of these. There's so much we don't understand about yeah, the virus. Uh, it, you know, it beguiles and confuses yes. us. I, I give him, Your world frightens and I, You know, I saw me. that. I saw that exchange and I give him full credit. Because a, a different guy, a different guy would have tried to say, well, here's a few reasons, right? But he basically just said... I don't really know. But then he went I, right into yeah, but Mike, yeah, but then he yeah, went right into but we do know what works is yeah, masking yeah, and distancing. Yeah, yeah, it's like, I no, know. we don't know that. That's the whole yeah. point of the question. I know, but, but even even getting somebody on TV nowadays just to say I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, you know I mean, here's what I think. I, I know here, someone here, who here, I, I got someone on TV every day who says I don't know, I have to circle back on that, but we can talk about that. Later. <laughs> circle back on that. Well, but Tom, the uh, you know, the, the thing is that um, we knew this. We know you can't use lockdowns to stop a highly infectious respiratory virus. We've got a hundred years of pandemic knowledge on this point. And so where did our it come pre -pandemic from? Planning, it came from a, you know, China did this lockdown, Italy panicked and did the same thing. And then it was sort of political contagion and the dominoes fell in, in Europe and the US. And, you know, the number one predictive factor on whether a lockdown was adopted is whether neighboring political jurisdictions had locked down. And uh, there, there's been published research on this showing that that's uh, that's the you know the best predictor of it. And you know there's also this incentive structure that was created by the media, right? Because if you lock down hard, then on your way up the death curve, you got positive coverage. You were doing everything you can. You really cared. Uh, you know you're, you're you know Cuomo or Murphy or Pritzker or whoever. And on the way down the death curve, you were the conquering You're hero. You're the hero, right? You did it. Like, it was your lockdown. It was mountain, your restrictions. Right? The picture that you right. had with the... If you were no more DeSantis, you were personally responsible for every death, even though you had the same curve. It was the same rise yeah. and fall everywhere. But, you know, if you didn't do the lockdown, every death was on you. You're Ron Death Santis. Christy Nome is evil. You'd say every death is your fault. And on the way down the curve, you don't get any coverage at all. So, like, you know, Florida only got coverage on the way up. They no, didn't get no, any coverage no, on the no, way no, down. They're still getting coverage. Now they're saying, oh, he's politicizing the vaccine. The only reason he's giving prioritizing seniors is because they vote for him. Which, by the way, I mean, do, this, do is in, this stuff, is the thing they're doing to this governor is insane. Well, they're me. scared of him. They think he's the guy who could beat them in 24. So I think they're scared of him. We, we've talked about this in rally, a previous but, podcast. You know, the, the, the age six, the, the seniors priority uh, for vaccine should have been the most obvious no-brainer, okay? 81% of all the COVID deaths are above age 65. Vaccinate that entire population as fast as you can. If the vaccine's highly effective, you just eliminated 80% of the deaths right off the, you know, so it should have been totally obvious. But, you know, the CDC had a highly politicized 
process for making their vaccine recommendations. Instead of saying, you know, vaccinate the people who are dying first, the seniors, they said, for equity reasons, you need to prioritize essential workers because if you prioritize seniors, the senior population is whiter than the essential worker population. It will not be uh, equitable from a racial justice standpoint. And they put out these recommendations that didn't prioritize age. Now, Ron DeSantis said, I'm not paying it. I'm, I'm going to listen to science. I'm not going to listen right, to the CDC. Right, right. The irony seniors. of all this is, is we've seen a little bit snippets of this in the confirmation hearings, too, is finally, and you and I, Mike, have talked about this, Republicans are starting to flip the I believe in science thing. Yeah, well, uh, well so here's know. the thing. So here's the thing. So, so DeSantis said we're going to do seniors first in Florida. Then the CDC changed their recommendation yeah. to follow him. And then even states like California and New York said, okay, we're going to do seniors also. So it, it's, uh, it's an interesting thing because now he's being attacked for he didn't listen to the CDC. He did his own thing. But the CDC listened to him. Right. They actually ended up following right. what, what he did. And that's the important part of the story, right? You asked who, you know, what what happened? Where did this thing get off the rails? And this is a terrible thing to say because I'm partially responsible for it. It got off the rails right in front, right in front of the Trump administration in February and March of last year. You know, we 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 needed to do some things, and um, we buckled at the wrong moment. And, yeah, and that's just I, the I way mean, it is. I, I did. What, you know, I did notice that when they they sort of when the daily press briefings were. You know, a, you guys made the decision to lock down nationwide, and that right? Was, and, and that, you know, if you go back and look at the origin mistake, that's the original mistake right there. But, you know, it still does it not. 15 it, years to slow the spread, It right? still dwarfs. <laughs> it still dwarfs the, the well, I have I have no sympathy whatsoever for the West Coast and the East Coast governors that are under under fire right now. Let's just put it that way. Newsom is is scrambling now to open up schools in California, uh, faced with this recall that he's going to probably squeak by, but it's going to be a lot of you pain. Can't, you can't and tell Cuomo, me. Governor Cuomo is what Governor Cuomo is. You can't tell me that you're not watching the Gavin Newsom thing and thinking to yourself, we need an amendment to the Constitution. We need to set up a, a, a federal recall um, capacity, right? That that recall and initiative is such a great idea, and I have never seen a politician get up and move as fast as Gavin Newsom has. What <laughs> schools? They need to open they, now. He didn't even fix his hair. It's, he's uh, got up. He just ran a comb through it. The the he he set this all in motion with that French Laundry. Day. Oh yeah, no, uh, that we, was really we, the yeah, that trigger. Was the that was the trigger of the, of the whole thing. I mean, it was uh, three hundred twenty dollars a plate, the, and then they the spent another like twelve grand on wine with and, lobbyists. And his response. I'm getting it from both ears, yes, so I'm just going to yes. say right now again. I was wrong, and I'm very sorry. <laughs> you got to listen to it earlier. Oh, he said it wasn't an issue? No, he thought he handled it brilliantly. I did, no, I didn't say brilliantly. I thought he took it off the table. But I, no, there was just and, no and way. There, there were there other facts that came out afterwards. The, I'm like, oh, okay, this is looking they always worse. Well, the best is like the next out. night, London breathed. The San Francisco mayor was at the French Laundry, too. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, what is it about the French and Laundry? The Democratic mayor of Austin like, gave, his, gave his stay-at-home Rather, well, the hypocrisy from the, from the hypocrisy time is astonishing. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, which, by the way, there's like an exact Simpsons clip of that scenario. It's like you know, it's uh, incredible. I'll put that in the show notes. Now, I we could talk forever about this stuff, and and thank you for coming on. And I'd like to invite you back because this subject has been I'd like to. We're, we're going to invite you back. The thing that you you said in the beginning 
kind of hit me a little bit. Can we get to the paid leave program? Yeah, we're, we're going, going there. Trust me. I'm, I'm shifting yeah. gears to the COVID relief, uh, the, uh, the the extortion package. But the thing that you said in the beginning kind of struck me as there, because in my world, in my immediate extended family universe, I'm about the only one who has a healthy dose of skepticism about all of, a lot of this. And we did have a COVID you know, situation, a hospitalization and everything else. Um, but the point that you made was how do we get them over, right? I mean, to me, it's always important for me to be right, but I, I, I thought that was particularly insightful because I have struggled with trying to explain to folks that I'm not anti, you know, taking precautions and not, I don't want the thing, but I also am very much a proponent of what you said, which is you can't fight this. You can't, there's nothing you can do politically or otherwise that will stop this from happening. You have to get through it mm -hmm. in a way that like take advantage of all the resources we have available to us. The thing about therapeutics, which we didn't even talk yeah. about, right? I mean, we've got now, just so you know, Tom, the, um, the monoclonal antibodies that we've now got, and there are three different versions that have now been FDA authorized, they reduce hospitalization risk 70%. They're now available, all 50 states. There's a search tool on the HHS website. Anybody age 65 plus automatically qualifies if they test positive. Anybody under age 65, if you have any kind of medical high-risk situation, you can, you can also qualify. 70% reduction in hospitalization. I've never heard any public health official tout this. They'd never talk about it. They want to talk about it. They want to, anytime they're on TV, anytime they have a chance to talk to the public, their daily briefings, whatever, they repeat for the seven trillionth time, six feet and wear a mask and, and stuff that literally everyone already knows is recommended. Sure. And they don't say, this is where our local infusion center is. If your doctor writes a prescription, you can go get it. It's going to reduce your risk 70%. By the way, anyone who's local here in DC, Washington Hospital Center has an infusion center. They've got like a hundred beds. You can and get you can infusion. walk in, right? You need to get a prescription from your doctor first, but if you, if you, if you qualify, if you're, and you test positive, your doctor writes and, a prescription. And you can you ask your doctor, right? Like yeah. that's the other thing I hear because I've known people who have gotten it and they didn't go to the hospital. They didn't get hot, admitted. I said there are therapeutics out there that you can take. Infusion like, oh, centers, I just yeah, they're they're it's, it's outpatient, okay. it's outpatient. Uh, this is the thing about the uh, the antibody treatment. If you're hospitalized, it's too late because it's an early treatment. So the idea is you take it so that it won't get severe. And I've talked to several people who've had this, and they say they felt the difference. That's how good this treatment right, is. Right. So, but you know, we've got this was a product of Operation Warp Speed, so they don't want to give the Trump administration credit, so they don't want to talk about it. They don't want to dispel sort of the the fear and the panic and the, the, the other measures that they've got going, so they don't want to talk about it. And frankly, this is the downside of Operation Warp Speed. If you tell the drug manufacturers the government's going to buy 100% of all the doses you produce no matter what, they're not going to bother advertising. Right, of course. And they're not going to market right. to doctors right. because they don't care. Right. And so that's the other problem we have with these, but it's remarkable. 70% reduction, and yet you, we're, yeah, you, you don't, don't know talk about, about it. it. No one's heard of it. All right, I want to do shift gears. The $1.9 trillion we need to have this in order for us to get the, 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 the help that we need out to the states. We need this for the children so that we can, to the, so the schools. Uh, here's, a, here's a semantic question for you guys. Can you call it a blue state bailout? if the states are in surplus. 
if you're not actually bailing them out of anything, if they're just raiding the treasury, even though they're already in surplus, is it still a bailout? I don't know. It's like a, it's like a philosophical question, right? I mean, California is in a $15 billion budget surplus right now because the stock market went crazy and real estate went crazy. This bill gives them $41 billion. I was calling it a bailout, but I mean, they're already in surplus. I don't know if that's the right word. Yeah. And I also understand that, um, we're, I mean, people are saying aren't, there's not really a whole ton of opposition to this. It looks like uh, it looks like every Democrat's going to vote for it. So you got $350 billion of state and local, uh, even though they're in surplus. You've got $128 billion more for K-12 education. And by the way, this is like the most insane ransom shakedown I've ever seen what the teachers unions are doing because there was $54 billion for K-12 in the December bill. Zero of that has been spent so far. So none of that's been, none of that's out the door. And so when the CBO scored the $128 billion for K-12 in this new bill, they said, we can't see any more than $6 billion of that being spent this fiscal year. So because they, they haven't even spent the other 54. And so they, they have it. They have the spend down going out through 2028 CBO's projection. Wow. And most of the money doesn't go out until 2023 and 2024. So you've got these teachers unions saying we can't open schools until we get this new bill passed, even though the spending is years in the future. Yeah. And also um, there's walk around money for Democratic supported constituencies. There's all the usual. They've got abortion funding in there. What percentage can't of the 1.9 trillion is actually could potentially set aside the fact that there's hundreds of millions, billions that have been allocated but not spent from previous bills. But what percentage of the 1.9 trillion would you estimate would actually be gone, go towards directly towards COVID relief or, you know, mitigation or or whatever i don't know maybe 10 percent. i mean there's some vaccine 10%. money in there and that kind of stuff i mean the other thing that i just found out uh that i find totally astonishing you know they've got the 1400 checks for individuals in this and that's what sort of that's sort of what that's sort of the engine that pulls the rest of it so, you know politically people are like hey i can get I 1400, 1400 bucks, bucks right but at the same time that normal americans get one 1400 check uh, there is a paid leave program in this bill for federal employees where uh, if you uh, medically have to take leave and you're out of sick leave or there are a couple other conditions, but then there's the one that is going to be the one that people actually use, which is if your children need someone to do virtual school with them from home, you can qualify for this paid family leave, which is going to be 1400 bucks. A week, a week for up to 15 weeks, 15 weeks. So you get $1,400. Federal employees can get $21,000. Uh, you get one. It, it's like the Beatles song, and, the tax man. It's like one, for, one for you, 15 for, for me. me. Right. And, and what, uh, they'll qualify because none of these reopening plans in the DC area, which is where a lot of the federal employees live, obviously other places, there's no, there are, there's going to be an aspect of virtual to yeah. all of it. Right. So and the way this bill is written, virtual one day a week, the way this bill is written, the paid leave is available. If you've got a child, uh, in part-time or full-time virtual instruction. So if you've got a, if you've got a kid who's in school two or three days a week and you're a federal employee, you could take the two or three days, they're home paid leave and you get, you know, your salary per hour up to the cap. And it's, uh, it's going to be the wrong profession. It's 
it's uh, I, I'm amazed they're going to vote for this, but this is a real thing. They're defending, you know, we, everyone should have paid leave and we're saving a good example. And uh, I think the Republicans should offer an amendment to extend it to everybody. Yeah, I think that's right. You know, it 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 um, every president has one freebie, right? This is Biden's. He's getting his freebie. He's got a lot of he's, you know, they're throwing a lot for something so urgent and necessary. They're spending a whole lot of time making sure. Well, you know why it's got... urgent? Because the virus is going down so fast. Right, right. I mean, if they don't get this done, you know, urgently, they're not going to have any rationale for it. So they've got to do it very quickly. Uh, you know, the biggest the. You know, they wanted this virus to vanish very quickly so that they could claim credit for it, but they didn't want it to vanish this quickly because then they can't claim credit for yeah. it. It's a little too fast right now is their problem. Although, I, as I said, I do think it's going to sort of plateau now for, for a little bit at least. Uh, but look, I mean, we're the vaccine, we're, we're within a month or two of anyone who wants the vaccine can get it. I, yeah. I think it's going to be earlier than they think. Yeah, I, I, I predicted July 4. By July 4, everyone's going to have a chance. I think, I, I agree with you. I think it's probably going to look more like Memorial Day now. Well, just to close the COVID conversation, the it, Guardian. It, you know, we should we should get bets down on like what percentage of the population will actually take a vaccine. Well, that's a good point too, because I understand that the 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 vaccine. The how am I saying this? The military is a for why is it a voluntary in the military? First so of all, if it's voluntary everywhere, but. There, no one in the military is is taking this. this well, two thirds of virus. They're getting it's like sixty six percent uptake in the military. Um, you know, it's. You, you. Here's the thing about this. Here's the thing about this virus, which has a big impact on the way people think about the vaccine. I think also. I mean, under age twenty, it's less dangerous than the flu. Okay, twenty to fifty, it's comparable to flu, maybe a little worse. 50 and up, it's much worse. It's dangerous. Yeah, and 70 and up, it's extremely dangerous. So, I mean, if you're over age 70, it's like complete total no-brainer. You're going to take the vaccine. If you're 50 to 70, you're going to probably think about it, but then you're going to probably end up taking the vaccine. If you're under 50, it's kind of like, you know, is it worth the convenience of being able to say, I have the vaccine, so people will leave you alone? Sure. Because the virus itself otherwise is pretty you, low risk for you. Otherwise, you so, might get arrested like so, this couple in Hawaii. My point is, but if you're, you start getting down to younger people, and, you know, there's a reason that in the nursing homes, we're getting like 80, 90% uptake among the residents and like 50% among the staff. Because they're young, a lot of them have had the thing. They're just, it's not, yeah. it doesn't, it are doesn't stay them the same Are you going to take it? Um, I, I, I mean, as what... As what Phil said, it'll likely end up that I take it simply because then everyone around me will be like, oh, good. Finally, the guy who's always been gapping about COVID. Well, only you know, if, you, only if you tell him, so. right? HIPAA is not going to allow anybody but anyway, to um, Are you going to take it? Yes. Two I things, two my things before won't. we depart. We, we, two things before we depart. For, I like your wife. <laughs> the Guardian uh, says a key Biden aide said pandemic was, quote, the best thing that ever happened to him. Anita Dunn. I got that. Anita Dunn. Which they, basically resurrected his whole primary and his whole career. She's right. Like, she's right. She again. The old well, guy, the old knows guy that, never, You're not supposed to say it. Right. right. <laughs> again, <laughs> what we talked about earlier it's with a, the Massachusetts it's a, it's climate a, undersecretary saying that we've got to break their will. Break right? their will, right? It's a, it's a gaffe. You told the truth. You told the, the truth in politics, gaffe. right? Um, and then lastly. Um, Is that who it was, Mike Kinsley? Thanks. I couldn't remember that. Yeah. We will have Set you back. In Washington, we, we will have you back in a few weeks to uh, give us an update on this, and uh, really appreciate um, taking the time with us, Phil Kirpin. Got it. Phil Kirpin American commitment. 
Uh, we will put his website in the show notes along with his Twitter handle. Follow him on Twitter. Um, uh, in addition to this stuff, there's a whole host of good information. Tell about our newsletter, Committee to Unleash Prosperity. Yep. Oh, yeah. If you, we, Plug I, that I, real quick. Come, yeah. come, come, come. We do a daily newsletter uh, with Committee to Unleash Prosperity, which is Steve Moore and Art Laffer and uh, Steve Forbes. And uh, John Fund, Steve Moore, and I send this out every weekday. And it's basically like our take on what's important and what's happening in the news. And, you know, it was originally very heavy on COVID, but we also, we had a bunch of energy coverage in there. We do kind of other economics and it's basically the issues we're interested in. And uh, we've been trying to keep it to about eight items a day. Uh, so it's not too overburdening to read. And we try to get a little humor in there and uh, people, so people like it. It's free. If you want to take a look, uh, committed on It's the second best newsletter um, in next town. to in the pipeline, next to in the pipeline the American yeah. energy Alliance. It, it would be the best. So if, subscribe to both. We'll put them both subscription uh, buttons in the show notes. It would be, it would be the best if they quoted me a little bit more often. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Phil. Thanks, Phil. Great to hear from you. Phil Kirpin, everybody. What else do we have on tap? Here, oh my man? gosh, um, where where are my notes? Hold on, um, John Kerry talking about climate change. One more. He was interviewed for um, on CBS for uh, rejoin the day that the United States officially rejoined the Paris Agreement. I won't play the full. Um, I won't play the full clip, but I, I will play a condensed version. Here we go. The wild winter weather this week has been called historic and unprecedented. But someday, we may just call this normal. And obviously, we want to prevent this from becoming the new normal to the degree that we can. Some people get hung up on the term global warming and say, well, I thought everything's supposed to get warmer. I heard one scientist say this is really global weirding. Is that a better way to think of this? I think it's a very appropriate way to think of it. It is directly related to the warming, even though... Your instinct is to say, wait a minute, this is the new ice age, but it's not. It is coming from the global warming, and it threatens all the normal weather patterns. The planet is warming in large part because of the greenhouse gas emissions we pump into the sky from our power plants, our cars, trains, and planes, and even from raising and growing our food. That warming makes storms stronger, droughts drier, and oceans higher. That means certain places on Earth where people live will become unlivable. How much time do we still have left to avert climate catastrophe? Well, the scientists told us three years ago we had 12 years to avert the worst consequences of climate crisis. We are now three years gone, so we have nine years left. And that's where Paris comes in. Nine years, Mike. We have nine years left. And then John got on his yacht and sailed away. <laughs> he no? works really, really hard. <laughs> he got... he needs some downtime. You, you, I, it, you know, the great thing about it is the guys who fact-checked this were guys who like um, were uh, involved in the IPCC thing. And the latest report. Yes. And, and, and even they said, yeah, that's not quite right. You know, it, it – the great and terrible thing about about being um, about having the the uh, third Obama term that we're living through is, it's the same old stuff. I mean, it was just it's the same old, same old, and and you know it. Yeah, it is. Uh, I do think though that the the Dem Republicans still haven't quite 
yeah man you know, gotten out of the gate here uh, i think they're still a little bit stumped well know. it's funny you know phil and i were talking about this um and the the answer is you know for the obama guys we had six months to think about it because everybody knew by july that mccain wasn't going to win We've had exactly um, 40 days, right, since the Georgia, um, 40, 45 days now since the Georgia runoff. Um, we're still kind of, everybody's getting their sea legs under them. Um, I, I'm waiting personally for whatever it is the uh, Biden administration is going to propose on climate that's going to be new and different and interesting. Well, it should come uh, shortly before mid-April. Right, because that's their little Earth Day messaging. Yeah, so. I assume we're gonna we're gonna get we're gonna get the climate infrastructure legislation. It's gonna have a net goal of like you know, zero by twenty fifty or eighty percent less by twenty fifty or something like that. But I still won't know like what exactly, how exactly they're going to do it. Yeah, it'll be a challenge for sure because they anything that they would do uh, would require some kind of congressional. Correct. Approval. Correct. And that's, you know, that's unlikely. Um, that That's unlikely. Unless it's giving money away, in which case, okay, they'll do that. And that's what they're going to wind up doing. Um, you know, open question is, you're going to have a carbon tax. You're going to have a value-added tax, right? Joe Manchin opened the door to that yesterday. Um, I don't know how that's going to turn out. I'm looking forward to the vote on it, though. Separate the sheep from the goats. Yeah, Joe Manchin, that and... Um the third senator from Massachusetts came out yet again. <laughs> Willard. W- Will- Willard. Mitt, Willard, Mitt Romney. The, the third, by the way, the Constitution says there shall be two senators from each state, except for Utah, which shall have one, and Massachusetts, which shall have three. Uh, I'm very open to a carbon tax, quote unquote. This is about the 15th time that he's floated this same exact line. Yeah. And then all the media just sort of who, you know, the, the, the reporters swoop in and say, Romney opens the door to Republicans yeah. supporting a carbon tax. I can't tell if he's an idiot or a genius. I'm going to go with idiot savant. <laughs> um, it, 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 you know, he can't be serious about this stuff. Um, but then he's, you know, you think, well, maybe he is serious about it because he says it so much. Um let me tell you what he's not doing. He's I'm, not representing the state of Utah. I have no idea. Way, for all I know, form. people in Utah are in favor of a carbon tax. No, there, I've been to I've been to Utah, sir. Well, I've been to Utah too. Um, he is certainly not. It's, it's like New Jersey with better Utah. scenery. Um, it it we don't know, and that's why I want to have a vote. We've never had a vote on a carbon tax. I want to have votes so straight I, up or down. Straight, None of this right. reconciliation. Exactly. Don't bury it in anything. Exactly. Let's get a baseline, you know, we ladies get, and gentlemen. Let's we, find you know, out where your elected representatives we, stand exactly. on the carbon tax. We got twenty-five House guys playing footsie with this stuff. Twenty-five House Republicans, right, going off to Utah, right, powering yeah. around with John Curtis. You know, hey, we need to do some affirmative on climate change. I'm like, great. What do you have in mind? Yeah, can't get an answer to that. No, you can't because they don't have an answer because they're they're trying to reconcile the fact but, that it's all ridiculous, but yet. But the fact that the, they, the, the, fact the polling that, shows, like the groups that rep, that were, we'll okay, back up a little. There was some secret meeting in Utah with fifteen members of Congress, and twenty five. Four was 20, groups. Was it fifteen? It could have been twenty five. Uh, and four groups that claimed to be conservative, uh, but the one group that troubled me a little was Heritage, 
was apparently represented at this at Seth I'm going to assume well. that's Nick Loris. So I'm going to assume that's Nick Loris. I have no idea whether it is or not. But let's just assume it and cast the aspersion anyhow. Um, yeah, you know that I'm especially looking forward to putting Republicans on record. Where are you on this thing? And I'm willing to bet that the last thing Senator Romney wants is to be put on record on this. He likes playing footsie, but he's not going to want to vote for it. Senator Murkowski is the same way. Senator Collins is the same way. Although Senator Collins, Senator Murkowski, they're probably in their last terms. I'm not sure how that affects their thinking. But I'd also like to put the Senate on Democratic moderates, right? Cinema, Kelly, Manchin, um, Maggie Son, the ladies from the senators from Nevada. Um, I'd like to see what they're in favor of and what they're not in favor of. You, you really want to have the – you really want to impose an incredibly regressive tax on Americans? They should probably know that before they vote for you again. You know, I, I think you know we should take Sheldon Whitehouse's forty-five cents a gallon tax, forty-five dollars a ton, whatever it is now. Um, put it out there. Let's have a vote. To do what America does, let's vote. All right, let's have a vote. We've been calling for a vote for years and years and years. As a re- as a, uh, a reminder, the Democrats, including Chuck Schumer. Uh, Harry Reid was the majority leader at the time, had a super majority in the Senate, and they did not. If this was so urgent, why didn't they bring it up in Shut 2010? Up. Shut up, Tom. Shut up. He saved— I'm confused. He saved New York and New Jersey from Sandy and, and weatherized <laughs> the whole state and the whole world. The bottom line is Texas thought it could go it alone and build a system that ignored (laughs) climate change. Do you think I should tell him that the New York independent system operator is also a one-state grid operator? You you don't confuse (laughs) him with the facts, please. You think somebody might mention that? Don't confuse him with the facts. The the Senate held a a, a two-day's worth of hearings for the nomination of Interior Secretary. Um, Representative Deborah Holland from New Mexico yeah, is man. the nominee. First Native um, American to be whatever. The first Native American, but also the f- the first time that she has not had an opinion on anything uh, from, from the two days of, of coverage. Here's one minute example of, of the artful dodge now we have Senator Rich. Uh, thank you, Senator Manchin. Uh, Ms. Holland, good morning. Um, did you uh, or do you now support the Biden uh, action and the administration's action of shutting down the Keystone Pipeline his first day in office? <laughs> Excuse me, Senator. Thank you for the question. I, I mean, I, I feel very um, confident that uh, the president... Um, his decision, uh, I mean, I have to respect it, sir. Uh, he is the president of the United States, and I realize that um, these are some of the things that he talked about when he was running for office, and I believe that those are some of the reasons why he was elected. <laughs> I, uh, I know that President Biden cares deeply about our environment. It just gets better. He, he also he just cares about jobs, though, and so I know his Build Back Better plan uh, is going to uh, work if we can all uh, work together to create millions of jobs. And I look forward to helping him 
uh, move his plan forward. Do you support his decision to shut down the Keystone <laughs> Pipeline? That's a simple yes or no. I got it. I'd like a yes or no. Thank you, Senator. Um, <clears throat> I I will tend to support President Biden's positions, and if I am confirmed as Secretary, um, it is his agenda that I would seek to move forward. Do you support closing down the Keystone Pipeline? Uh, Senator, I I I will just say that I support President Biden's agenda. Do you support uh, shutting down the Keystone Pipeline? <laughs> Senator, uh, if I say that I support President Biden's agenda, will you shut um, up? I assume that you could uh, take my answer as a yes. Thank you. And could you tell me why that is? Uh, well. <laughs> One of the reasons why is that I uh, I support President Biden. <laughs> I think he's thought deeply about these things, and I think that he cares deeply about our environment. And oh, um, boy. and I do as well. And you told me that you did support his shutting down the Keystone Pipeline, but I'm looking for your reasons why you think that's a good idea, Senator. I. I'm not sure that um, I have a full answer for you other than to say that I know that there are a lot of people in this country who care deeply about our environment, and, um, and that is one area that folks have, have <clears throat> been passionate about. I know there's a lot of passion on both sides of the issue. Wow. I mean, this was this. Man, that was painful. No, no, and this was just one small God, sample. Was, I, she has, uh, she has pages of quotes, uh, very explicit about her. She protested. It, it's that's the first I heard her talk ever. She protested the uh, Dakota Access Pipeline. Oh. She went to. She said point blank, there should be no pipelines on public lands. She yeah. said point blank, there should be no zero fracking on public lands yeah, I'm okay zero with, none i'm okay with that yeah it, it, but, but all of a sudden she has a simple, like she can't she's she's a simple inability just to say yes and here's what, why what happens with these folks like i don't know she's gonna get confirmed so all she's doing is showing that when she sits in front of a committee oh. of senators oh, who man. are no more or less intelligent than she is seriously I mean, what does she think? I, I like I said, if if you're if you're if you're her Sherpa, the correct answer is yes, yes. Um, and why? Well, well, I have some reasons of my own, but mostly because my boss is in favor of shutting it down. That's it. That's yeah. all I gotta say. Um, it's funny. It's, just, it's terrible. It's, it's awful, and she sounds not up for the challenge. One quick divergence, um, Senator Rish's. Um, staffer on this stuff is a kid is a uh, a man named Skiffington Holderness, top 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 drawer, top drawer, good and, to know. and and I think Senator Rich did a good job there. I right? just like Kennedy with with Near. I right? just come back, come back, come back, give me an answer. I it can it, you know what you know what listen to that confirms in my head. Dave Hayes is the really is the real. Interior of course. Well, I mean, Gina McCarthy. Sure. I mean, this is. This I just is... wondered. I didn't know before I heard that. I wasn't sure. No. But now there's no doubt, right? Yeah. Um, okay, we got 
We're growing a little bit long, but we might as well power through. Let's here. do a lightning round. Let's wrap it up. Well, with I don't a lightning know if it's round. a light. There's no such thing as a lightning round with us. <laughs> it's just too... I'll limit all my answers so, to one sentence. So you want to talk about the Queen and Prince Philip? I don't really. We you can don't? skip that. We, we can save that one. Uh, okay. Prince Charles is going to become king one day, and that's bad that's for everybody who speaks sad. English. Yes, it is very sad. Okay, I will pass on that. I will play a clip from Circle Back. Just uh, wanted to give you a sample of uh, <laughs> some of the tough questions she's had to answer this week, real quick. Um, in an executive order that the president signed last week, he also suspended a Trump administration executive order that was particularly aimed at keeping foreign countries, specifically China, from interfering in the U.S. power grid. But he suspended that for 90 days in that executive order last week. Given what you said about China today, why did he do that, especially related to something so critical to our national security as the power grid? I'll have to. I think the president's view on, on our relationship with China, I, I um, tried to do my best to convey to all of you. I'll have to check on that specific piece, and we'll, we'll circle back with you directly. <laughs> you know, if I was a press person, I think I'd ring a bell every time she said circle oh, absolutely. back. absolutely. Absolutely. No, it. You know, the it, funny it, thing is, it's an easy answer. They're going to incorporate it. They did incorporate it in the executive order they put out yesterday. It just, it was going to migrate to something else. Yeah, but the thing is, is it's the like. Fact, the fact that she didn't know that kind of concerns me a little bit. The thing is, everything that it's, it's like, okay, so the last guy basically took. Oh, and by the way, they don't call, they don't ever use the word Trump. They call, they, they, they say, the previous, the previous occupant, the previous yeah, president, the other guy, the last president. guy, yeah, the I last would too. I would too. Um, but you know, it's like, well, he's he on his whole presidency was to undo everything Obama did, and so we're going to undo. So everything we're going to undo everything he did. Like, there's no, there's no reason to do that. Yeah, I mean, you know, the 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 thing, the bulk power suspension made sense, right? Um, I'll give you a, a specific example. Something that makes no sense, right? Uh, Trump had a um, President Trump had an executive order on uh, federal buildings being uh, beautiful, but also more durable, mm -hmm. right? Um, instead of these monstrosities that have to get torn down every fifty years, um, they they voided that executive order. They also are going to no undo the, for no the, reason. They're going to undo the changes to the Rose Garden, right? I didn't see that. I think that's what. Uh, that's not. That's not petulant and childish at all. All right, no, we're still all. in the middle of the lightning round. Okay, um, one from Bill Gates, Doctor Gates. In fact, we and we're all familiar uh, with the fallout from this global pandemic that we've now been living with for almost a year. And you write in the book, the loss of life and economic misery caused by this pandemic are on par with what will happen regularly if we do not eliminate the world's carbon emissions. You say regularly, you mean 500,000 Americans dead regularly if we don't deal with this climate disaster? That's right. Uh, you know, the death toll would be even worse near the equator. What? Uh, and the unrest you know, would be global in nature. Uh, and sadly, you couldn't just invent a vaccine, one thing, and get that out and bring it to an end because it's all these different sources. So you've got to start work now uh, to avoid those terrible consequences much later. I, Dr. Bill. You know, the world's most successful software salesman 
He has an opinion on everything, though. Yeah, but he is it, sought it, after for his opinions you know on, on vaccines and climate change. This he is just a, wrote a book. This is a, He just wrote a book. I bet you 50 bucks he didn't write it. He had somebody write it for him. Let me just get this out real quick. I know I'm supposed to be a Republican, and I'm trying real hard, but um, the idea of like taxing the rich and taking away all their money, every time I hear a rich person talk, I think, yeah, that's maybe not a bad idea. Maybe we should take all their damn money. Um, you know, if, if if Bill Gates was a CEO of a moderately successful company, who the hell would listen to him? Yeah. Yep. Okay. Uh, we neglected to. We didn't neglect. We ignored it. No, we we forgot uh, to give a shout out, a tribute, to, or to uh, got to to wish Rush Limbaugh's family uh, all the best. Uh, one of the best radio conservative talk show. I mean, he, he basically, what can you say about him? He broke the mold. Uh, um, the, the most, the most consequential person uh, in media um, ever, I believe is probably the right answer. I can think of nobody else who dominated media for 30 years, good, bad, indifferent, right, left, center. Um, there is nobody I can, I can think of who, um, he just did what he did, right? Yeah, I mean, he's kind of like the Grateful Dead, man. He he like spanned generations. I I listened to him when I was in college, and I kind of started getting the bug with all this with with all this stuff. Uh, I was re- reconciled with my dad, yeah. right? And I said, "Oh, you should listen to this guy on the radio. His name is Rush Limbaugh. Yeah. He's pretty cool." Completely like changed my whole my father's whole trajectory. Union guy. UAW, you know, like, uh, in fact, he and at the time his wife got crazier than me with all this stuff, yeah, right? It, they they just got they complete like like a light bulb went off in their head because he never he talked to people, yeah, right? and he never, you know, the funny thing about him, you know, he never, very rarely did he ever talk about the politics of the day. Right. I mean, I mean, occasionally he'd get involved in something Congress was doing. He never, but it wasn't a it wasn't a steady diet, right? It um, wasn't a forum for for fancy guests, and yeah, you know, yeah. it was, it was the, regular callers. The only thing, heads. there's no doubt in my mind, he's the most influential media figure ever, other than maybe you know Gutenberg with his movable print, the um and and Christ, right, with the Bible, but um. The only question is, is how significant he was politically. I, I get the feeling 50 years from now, it's not going to happen when any of us are alive, right? But 50 years from now, um, he, he's going to be considered the dominant figure of the late 20th century um, politically, right? There's going to be Reagan and there's going to be him and that's it. There's going to be nobody else in the late 20th century people are going to talk about. And it's yeah. a hell of a that's a hell of an accomplishment yeah, it is. for a now, guy who didn't graduate college and like basically sat behind a radio microphone. Yeah, a couple of highlights. Um, you know, he he is a Kansas boy and uh, uh, actually a Missouri boy. Sorry, and um, started out in the radio there and 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 really struggled and ended up taking a job with the Kansas City Royals. Yeah, in group sales, uh, got to know George Brett really well, and you know, kind of bounced back into radio. And, and media and um, another known fact took over a radio show in Sacramento. Yeah, he's a Sacramento guy. Yeah, so yeah. baseball, Sacramento. I was, you know, spent a little time in my uh, youth in the valley in some, near Sacramento. But who did he trivia? Who did he replace 
in Sacramento. What personality? Morton Downey Jr. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Jeepers, I forgot that. Yeah, I always think of Morton Downey as a New Jersey guy, but yep. he wasn't. He was a California That's guy. That's right. So, I, I, you know. So What can you say about Rush? You, you, you know, know, awesome Yeah, awesome like I said, I, top media guy ever. I challenge anybody to a fight um, who says different. I listened to him a lot when I was younger and then stopped just because, you know, I wasn't listening you to the busy, radio that often, for but every time I would be in the car, you know, in the mid-afternoon, I'd always look for that channel because I knew it'd be on. So. Yeah, you know, February, last February at State of the Union, right, I had a chance to meet him. He was he actually showed up at the big house early and, you know, shook hands and a whole bit, right? Yeah, he got his Medal of Honor. Right. I didn't think much of it. I didn't think much of it at the time. Um, I knew that Medal of Honor thing was coming. I didn't think it was coming in the middle of the State oh, of the Union. Cool. It, it, it surprised everybody. Triggered the, the Dems yeah. pretty hard. Yeah, oh, in the room, in the room, it was, yeah. Um, that was Trump, though. Vintage Trump yeah, right oh, yeah, there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, he, he figured, I'm going to give it to him anyway, but Must let's do it, it on TV. That's right. Um, um, you know, he, boss likes to say, you're going to think anyway, might as well think big. Um, anyway, what I was going to say is, uh, I have no idea how it was personally, but he was gracious with us and, you know, he had no reason to be gracious with us. We we're just a bunch of nobodies. Right. Um, but he was very gracious, sat there, took pictures with everybody the whole bit. Right. No, Awesome. That would have been cool. Okay. We are done. It is a wrap. We do not have a clip of the day, but we're going to change it up at the end here. We're going to have some walkout music different from our regularly scheduled music. Thank you for uh, listening. We'll be back next week. This is Tom and Mike signing off. Good evening, everyone. Thank you for joining us. Um, I often note I'm going to circle back. I hate to disappoint conservative Twitter, but I am going to circle back on a number of things, as we often do directly. Um, circle back, circle back. I hate to disappoint you. Circle back, circle back. That's an excellent question. Circle back, circle back. I hate to disappoint you, but we will venture to circle back.